This is the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Graybeal. And on today's episode, we actually have a bonus episode. As you know, most of the episodes are going to be 10 to 20 minutes long and just a, a practical approach to leadership and business where I give you some steps on self-growth, um, um, but I rarely have interviews. So we got blessed with an interview opportunity with a very interesting guy. Um, his name is Roman Sharp, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. I'm actually going to let him introduce himself. Tell a little bit about his story because it's pretty compelling, and then uh, we're going to jump into a really cool interview. Rowan, thanks for being on the show today, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, dude. Hey, you're a busy guy. It's all good. Um, so uh, Roman, man. If you could, man, tell the audience a little bit about what you do now, what you used to do, and then, of course, your, your origin story. I know it's really long, but if you could sum it up a little bit so we can dive into the interview. To give well, I'll, try to, I'll try to make it quick because we don't have all day, as you said. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, uh, typical American dream story, or actually the richest story, as a lot of people like to call it. My father brought me here at the age of 13. Uh, we came here as refugees from a country that no longer exists called the Soviet Union, the old Soviet bloc, if you remember. For those of you that know history, it wasn't a happy place to live for most people. So running away from there back in 1988 brought me to America and... Uh, sort of started the chase, the chase for the American dream. And, uh, since the age of 13, I probably worked every job under the sun. From dishwasher to busboy, valet parking cars, I drove a bagel truck, believe it or not, I did construction, roofing, among every other job you can possibly think of to make a few dollars. Uh, fast forward to about the age of 18, I decided to join the U.S. Army. Uh, post the Army, I went to Penn State and I studied electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, my work actually took me more towards the computer science side because the programming market at the time was blowing up and this was a real good opportunity to make good money. Uh, my first job out of school, I got a job making 50 grand a year, which was unheard of, and only yeah. stood to make about $35,000 a year as an engineer at the time. Lo and behold, fast forward in my career, I landed at uh, Deutsche Bank, which was a Fortune 500. It's actually top 1,000 companies in the world. And by the age of 26, I uh, became a VP at that company. I went through 9-11 while working in New York City. It was a tough job. I commuted two hours each way just to get there. And uh, it was a demanding job. So most of the time, uh, my job demanded that I work probably close to 60 hours a week, plus another uh, figure five times four, plus another 20 hours a week of commute. And while doing that, about three years into it, I decided to open up a watch business and started selling watches on eBay part-time. Uh, people were saying, I'm crazy. Who the hell is going to buy these $10,000, $20,000 pieces online? And uh, But as they say, the rest is history. Today, uh, we're a $100 million-plus company a year. Again, I fast-forwarded about 16 years. But uh, as they say, the rest is history. So here I am. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's – and I know for the audience, that's such a brief um, – recap on your history, but we're going to dive into um, your story a little bit deeper throughout the questions. Um, but man, that's crazy. It's full circle. And I love your part about, you know, because it is the American dream, um, but in the best way, right? Like, uh, and so, you know, my first question, Rome, is 
prior to this call, we talked briefly about you coming from the Soviet Union to America. Can you tell the audience a little bit about like prior to 13 when you came here, what was it like growing up there? Uh, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. Well, let's start with the fact that we only had uh, two TV channels. I mean, for those of yeah. you guys that can maybe relate to that, uh, Soviet Union wasn't a fun life. Everything was very much controlled. And uh, listen, we all, not to get into politics, we all know that socialism is a failed experience and so is communism. There hasn't been a single country out there that thrived uh, during a socialistic type of uh, environment or communistic type of environment. You have to watch what you say, you have to watch what you do. Uh, you consistently have to hide and simple things like free enterprise were illegal. Uh, in that country, it was also illegal to be a homosexual. Uh, it was illegal. A lot of things, as we know today, that are free and clear in this country uh, were, in fact, illegal. And you can get sent up to Siberia for virtually nothing by simply speaking wrong about another member of a communist party. And everything was sort of in the box. There was no outside the box. It looked happy and peachy from the outside. Or at least that's what the Soviet propaganda showed everyone in the world. But in reality, it was a pretty crappy place to live. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, that's that's amazing. You got the opportunity to come here, um, and I know your family played a big part in being able to bring you here. Um, you mentioned in our original conversation how much you love America and how you're proud to be a patriot of our country. What do you love so much about America? Uh, it's freedom. Having, having uh, left the Soviet Union at the age of 13, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, I got to see what not having freedom looks like. And having to come here and being able to be who I want to be, uh, where I want to be, to do what I want to do, and to simply have an opportunity to get somewhere that's really all on me and it's not controlled by any government, any social uh, statuses and things of that nature. America is a place where you can live out the American dream. You can reach that American dream. and There's nobody out there that can stop you. And that's really the biggest reason I love this place. I think it's the best place to raise your children in. And I have three. So I think it's uh, the best uh, It's the best country. It's the strongest country in the world. Uh, there's a reason why I joined the, the army, because I do love this country. And I was willing, as, they, as I said in my... Uh, uh, originally, when I joined the Army, as I said, you know, I'm willing to give my life for it to protect the way of life. And that's really it. It's the way of life in this wonderful country that makes me love America so much and makes me such a patriot. That's incredible, man. And, and after our conversation, our first conversation, I spent some time thinking about that because we, as for us Americans that were born and raised here, we can easily take it for granted. Um, so I, you know, empathy is so powerful in leadership. So I tried to spend you know, a moment thinking about what would it be like to be an immigrant from anywhere, really, but an immigrant from the Soviet Union um, moving to America, like that's just day and night, right? And so I can see how, it, from my perspective, how you were able to capitalize on living here as an opportunity instead of becoming complacent or just go along with the status quo. And so I thought a lot about that, and you do see a lot of, now granted, every immigrant that comes to America doesn't just flourish necessarily, but a lot of um, high-level leaders and entrepreneurs are immigrants, and I wonder if there's a correlation or if you've thought about that, right? Like, would you be this successful if you were born and raised here, or is it I your mindset coming from the Soviet Union to America and saying, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I'm going to max out 
I'm going to join the army and serve this country, but then I'm just going to, I'm going to be a VP at 26. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that has a lot to do with your ambitions? I, I think it does. I think there's a big direct correlation. And I've always said uh, one thing, and that is, I was, my father gave up everything and anything um, for his children to have a better life, to move to a better country, a country that has freedom, a country that has opportunity. And for me to waste that opportunity, for me to waste my father's effort, you know, having to come, coming here at the age of 13 is a lot easier than coming here at the age of 40, right? Yeah. Giving up everything that you know, your job, your skill set, barely uh, keeping up with the language. You should hear my father talk till this day, you know, he talks some very broken English. I mean, he speaks English well, but it's still very broken, yeah. but he gets his point across, so to speak. So for me to waste that opportunity uh, would, would be, it's just not acceptable to me. You know, when I got here, at the age of 13, just by simply coming to this country, I knew I'm going to be successful. While I was delivering newspapers and washing dishes, till that day, I still knew I was going to be successful because I was at a place where this is possible. It's terrible to be in a place and to think that you're going to be successful, where in reality, you know that due to the government structure, due to the way the country works altogether, you're set up for failure to begin with. But coming here, opportunity has always been unlimited. And this is what makes, I believe, any immigrant that comes here for a better life, not to accept anything but a better life, but a successful life, whether it's in business, whether it's in profession. Some of my cousins have become doctors and attorneys and things of that nature. There are different ways of being successful or different ways to take advantage of the opportunities, the limitless opportunity that this country provides. We do really live in such an amazing, opportunistic country. And I think Again, for, for those of us, you know, the audience that are born and raised here, which is probably the majority of people that listen, it, we can't take it for granted. Um, and so I love your story because it just reminds me like, man, there is so much, op- there's more, right? And we have to look at it with the right perspective. It's, there's not more for us. There's more for us to multiply for others to benefit, right? Like your family, our friends, the world around us, the next generation. But like the first point I want to make on this show for the audience is like, man, you came from a place because sometimes people, especially young people can feel like they're, they don't have opportunities or they're not in control per se, but we live in a world with so much opportunity where you literally came from a place, a socialistic communist country where you actually didn't have any control. Like you couldn't take advantage of opportunities because they didn't want you to succeed. And so we live in a country where it is, there is no excuse but to succeed despite adversity. You know what I mean? So I love that part about you. And I hope that encourages people um, just to recognize it. Like if you just open your eyes and look around, um, whether you're a college kid or a 40-year-old that just got fired from your job, you worked 20 years, like you can literally do anything in America. Um, blows my mind if you just think about it, you know? Um, and I think you're a perfect example of that. So I want to talk a little bit about your Fortune 500 experience and leaving that because for me, like I'm, an, I'm a small business owner, small business entrepreneur, um, but I'm fascinated with high level leadership, Fortune 500, like that stuff's really cool to me. Most of the business books you read are going to be contextually about that environment. Very rarely are you going to read business books with like a lot of data on 20 or less employees and stuff. Um, so what, how hard was that decision to leave a Fortune 500 company and to start your own business? How, how did you justify that risk, especially with a family and all that stuff? Uh, it wasn't, actually. Believe it or not, it was not hard. 
And uh, I was lucky enough to build up my existing part-time business, which is selling watches on eBay at the time, to an extent where I already had enough of an additional income to be able to take care of myself. At that time, I was newly married. I just had a child. Me and my wife just moved into a new home. So there was a lot going on uh, personally from a financial perspective or financial commitment. However, when I saw when I saw um, Deutsche Bank let go of about 15% of their company, at the time they employed about 120,000 employees. Most of those people that were let go were those that worked out of the New York office. And uh, as you can imagine, they were the highest paid. I saw a managing director literally have to get up one day and walk out and you get escorted by security the minute that you get let go. It's a standard procedure, right? I understood due to market conditions why Deutsche Bank did what they did and I never blamed them for letting go about 15,000 people. When I saw every other guy on my floor literally have to get up and walk out, these are guys with families, some that had 20 years with the company. And specifically my managing director, a guy that uh, back at the time, we're talking about uh, probably a total comp of a couple million dollars a year, stock options and things of that nature. Granted, he got a nice severance package. Two years later, he was still looking for a job because at the time he was 40 something and it wasn't easy to get out there and find the type of position that he had. And I logically looked at it and I said to myself, okay, well, I'm moving high in fact. Unfortunately, you know, I kind of made my, a name for myself at the bank right post 9-11 where I fixed a whole lot of things, made a lot of temporary solutions uh, to fix their global and local payment systems. It was a temporary solution that was supposed to run uh, for about a month, ended up running for about a year. But uh, lo and behold, when I saw that happen and I asked myself a question, I said, can I get to where my managing director friend was and how fast can I get there? I said, yeah, I could probably get there in 10 to 15 years time if I was continuing to be the company man that I am. However, it reminded me a little bit of Soviet Union because the business decision that Deutsche Bank made to let go of so many employees, especially so many highly paid employees, was a good business decision. And in reality, it was out of my control. Working for such a huge conglomerate, oftentimes you don't have the type of control that you have running your own business. And at the end of the day, I said, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to go out on my own, if I were ever to fail, if I were ever to be unsuccessful in my own personal business, it would be due to what I did or what I did not do, not due to a decision that's so high up that you don't even see the guy that's making that decision in that particular meeting. And that's really what made me drive forward and say, you know what, I can work for myself, I can be more successful working for myself. And in reality, at the end of the day, I will be in control of my own destiny and it won't be decided by, you know, a stuffy boardroom somewhere that's, you know, across the ocean in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the practical application we can take from this is that while you were working for a Fortune 500 company, even probably 60 to 80 hours a week, you started on the side selling watches. And let, so me add, let me add to that. Uh, so just so you understand, uh, I was working, I was running a team of uh, 12 people that worked out of Singapore. So I, I was working with a team that was uh, a 12 hour time difference away. Mm -hmm. So when you want to talk about hours, my nights and days and hours, they were just a big blur. You yeah. know, when I used to get, I used to, I used to leave the house at five fifteen in the morning, and when my kid was born, I literally haven't seen him probably for the first six months of his life because I would leave, he would be asleep, and I would come home, he would be asleep, and then I would get woken up in the middle of the night, and then somewhere in between, uh, I was trying to run my eBay store selling these watches and dealing with clients. Yeah. An interesting time. <laughs> yeah, that's a hustle, man, and that's like, that's the work that we do behind closed doors, right? Like when people look at overnight success, or you know, maybe they don't consider it to be an overnight success, but they rarely see those times where you're like, no, 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 it wasn't always like this. There was a period of time 
where it wasn't glamorous. I didn't even have time to post about it because I was working 18 to 20 hours in a day, sleeping in between, being interrupted in the middle of the night with, you know, either a newborn baby or a call from Singapore. Um, so I can, you know, and it's like those, that grind is what makes it easier to be an entrepreneur because you just start something new with the same mentality of like, well, I used to work that hard. Why wouldn't I translate that into this new opportunity and then get ahead of the market? Because most people aren't working that hard. Um, I love that, man. And I love that you started again while you had the other job. Not everybody has the opportunity to do that, but I think it's wise because if you watch a lot of, um, motivational videos or whatever, you're going to hear a lot about like taking the leap of faith and you have to take that within context, right? Because if you just take the leap of faith without any preparation or even dabbling a little bit on the side, then you probably are going to fail. The chances of failing are, are more likely. Like if you look at Damon John who started FUBU, he had a full-time job and started selling, you know, clothes on the side, just like you, right? And so a lot of people, that's really their story. Very rarely does a successful entrepreneur stop this, start that, especially if it's a new venture. Like for you, you, you weren't into selling jewelry your whole life. This was a newer venture for you. And then you realize there's an opportunity here. I'm good at this. And I, I want this to be my future. So you segued out and then took the leap of faith. Although you still could have failed, you had some, you had some history under your belt. You had some experience. The best part about that is the opportunity I decided to take advantage of was, wasn't specifically in the watch and the jewelry business. The opportunity that I decided to take was literally the dot-com boom, right? I, the internet was blowing up. You know, at that time, people thought it was crazy to sell cars online or houses and things for that nature. And lo and behold, look at how many cars are sold online today and houses at the same token and planes and boats and super expensive things of that nature. Uh, and what I decided is that, look, uh, I sort of missed the part where I didn't come out with the next hot website or next hot web service, right? Most of them are out of business now anyway, right? Remember cdnow.com? That was, that yeah. blew up. That stock was through the roof, right? And where are they now? They're actually, I drive by their old building in the turnpike when I go to the office. But uh, it's taking advantage of the technology available at the time, being in a technical field. People always ask me, you're a jeweler, you're a watch dealer. I tell them, no, I'm still an engineer, you know? And yeah. I'm still an IT shop, per se, rather than, uh, you know, a watch dealer or a jeweler, because the what I came up with is the idea of be have showing seeing an opportunity of selling something online, and it just happened to be watches and jewelry. Uh, but at the same token, I could have used that formula to plug in any other product. Yeah. So you have to be aware of the market conditions and how the world is constantly evolving, and you took advantage of that. I love that, man. Um, let's jump into a couple business and leadership questions. In your opinion, Roman, what makes a good leader? Like if you had to choose one or up to three, anywhere from one to three of the most important traits of a leader, what would what would they be? Well, there's a famous meme out online, and I know this is a podcast you can't really show, but I'm sure that if I talk about it, everybody will picture in their head. And that's the difference between a manager and a leader. You know, a manager sits at the top of a big rock while his employees pull the big rock, where a leader is in front of the herd pulling that big rock alongside with his team. And this is a approach I've taken uh, for the many years I've been in business. Remember, starting as a basement operation and a one-man show, and then growing to, uh, at this point, close to 40 employees, right? And I, employed, I have employees not just here in Philadelphia, as well as far as Hong Kong and Texas and other places. 
I've always led by example. And one of the biggest things, and this is something that I took from the military, is I took the approach of uh, having a standard operating procedure within the company. And uh, I also said to myself that the one thing I will never have in my company is corporate politics, because I hated that. When I, was in, when I was in corporate, I absolutely hated corporate politics. I think I got into trouble because of that, because I wouldn't go along with some of that stuff. So I always said, I'm going to have a corporate-like structure within the company, but yet with a family environment. And the way I achieved it, really, and the way I consider myself a leader rather than the manager that cracks the whip, so to speak, uh, is by leading by example. There's not a single job in my company, and I don't care it's from shipping to content to photography to receiving quality control, accounting, bookkeeping, whatever you want to name it, I've done that job, and I've done that job 10 times over. So whenever I would hire somebody, there would already be a process in place and not a process that I expect people to do, but a process that I have done. Mm. When you go through and, you, and you're able to do every single thing in your company and then pass that along to your new employees or your older employees, have them follow suit, that makes you a leader. But most of what makes you a leader is not just by leading by example. And a lot of people tend to mistake that. They think, well, I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to show them how it's done and then they're going to follow suit. And No, you have to give your people the freedom to be able to think outside the box, to be able to be their own man or woman per se, and say, look, Roman, this is a great process you came up with. I've learned it from A to Z, and I followed your example, but here's some changes that I suggest. And you have to allow to have people that type of freedom. And also that comes with accepting the fact that you're not the best at everything to do, which is not easy, especially mm -hmm. when you start as a one-man band out of the basement and you've done every single job under the sun within your own company. And all of a sudden, some young kid comes over and tells you, yeah, you know what, that kind of sucks. You should do it this way. You have yeah. to think outside the box. And that's what makes a good leader, somebody that can recognize talent uh, and allow that channel to flourish and not be snobby and say, well, I'm the big bad boss. And then who are you to tell me yeah. how this should be done? And that's what I allow in my own company. And I think that's what makes a successful leader. I love that, man. So from that, I got, you know, lead by example, right? Be a servant leader along with your team. Um, I got open-mindedness, right? I think that's imperative as a leader. I got standard operating procedures, which, is probably a foreign concept to most small business owners. Um, so I think that if you're a small business owner or entrepreneur or aspiring to be one, you should probably Google that term after this show. It's very foreign to a lot of the small businesses. Oh, it's a military with. term. I mean, yeah. And it's dude, that's a business term that just, if you don't go to business school, you never hear it until the bank asks you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, man, I love that. And then what creative freedom, right? Mm -hmm like which goes along with open-mindedness you've got to let your people flourish after they've adopted the standard operating procedures i'm all yeah. about that man my thing I'm, I'm on the same page with you where it's do it how i do it until you're comfortable and then if you have a better way tell me about it because i'd love to find out but do it my way first before you yeah. decide that there's a better way you know what i mean because i've done this you know what i'm saying like i didn't just make this up I love that. Maybe I'm. Maybe my pride just likes that you're on the same page with me. But. Just to add, just to add to that, uh, helping out, uh, have an open door policy. I have, I have a corporate structure, so it's me. I have, a, I have a COO. I have a CMO, right? I have a chief logistics officer as well downstairs. So I have the management in place, but yet my door is always open. I don't play the game of oh, don't jump over your immediate management. That's when politics starts. Yeah. I have an open door. You have a problem, come. I will help, and it doesn't matter what you need help with. Uh, you will often during Christmas season, you'll see me down in the shipping room packing boxes. 
along with my team just because there's so many boxes that need to go out and they're behind. Uh, I won't shy away from walking into every single department uh, that's out there. And one advice I will give to any entrepreneur out there, uh, and I guess it does have to do with leadership, but it also has to do with good business practice, and that is be involved in accounting and finance. Be involved with your money because yeah. mistakes happen in accounting all the time. Come up with a system that is has an acceptable margin of error and also a system where that error can be easily caught because that's most important. The one thing that every CEO or every uh, business owner should continually stay involved in, and a lot of people lose sight of that, is the money. And I am involved in that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis just because that's the one aspect of the business that no matter how big you get, no matter how many people you have, I have three people in the county, and guess what? I'm still involved yeah. every single day. I still oversee it because that's the most important aspect without making them feel like I'm micromanaging them, by the way. For sure. You have to find the balance, and I completely agree with you. And I think that advice is really specific to the smaller business world. Now, you're getting, you're creeping up there with 40 employees, right? Like, not so small, but for a lot of the audience of this particular podcast, and for a lot of people that I work with on the one-on-one -on -one business consulting side, I have to remind them, you got to know your numbers. You can't just be the salesperson of your business. You can't just be the marketing person. If you're not a finance person, like figure out how to be somewhat of a finance person because the most difficult, that's the most difficult thing, especially when you're an engineer. Yeah. There is, there is a, uh, uh, one guy, uh, a smart guy once said, uh, this, he said, there's a big difference between just about right and exact. You, do you know who said that by any chance? No, I don't. I did. Oh. <laughs> so, this is what I this is what I tell uh, my employees. And when it comes to books, when it comes to money, when it comes to anything financial, in any business, it doesn't matter what business you throw that at. Those tiny little mistakes uh, down the line or immediately can cost you a whole lot. So you really, when it comes to finance, when it comes to books, it has to be an exact science. There's no room for error, really. Yeah, it compounds. It's just like compounding interest. Compounding exactly. Um, and no. People can know numbers better than you, but nobody's going to care about your numbers more than you as a small business owner. So that's so important, man, to get a basic knowledge of your own finance and be able to review it without micromanaging. I hated accounting in high school. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> and, and you have to you guess do. what? I still don't like it much, but you got to do what you got to do. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it because it's my business, you know? Okay. Um, so what, going back to Luxury Bazaar, your business, why would you say it's such a great company? Like, what would you attribute its success to in one or two sentences? Uh, it's easy. It's the family environment. Every single person that I've hired here thus far, I have one expectation of them. It's a, a few expectations, obviously. Do your job uh, to the utmost of your ability. Uh, contribute with innovation, meaning that whatever position you may be in, there's always room for innovation. But most of all, by having this set up as a corporate structure, but yet a family environment, everybody that works here, from the shipping guy all the way up to my CEO, my CEO treats as if the company was their own. And, uh, you know, my ultimate exit strategy or the light at the end of the tunnel is to sell my company. And everybody that's here knows that without having any formal stock shares or things of that nature, they all know they're going to retire happily. Should I, should that happen? And as a result of that, employee retention for me is unbelievable. I have, uh, Let's see, uh, one girl that's been with me for 15 years. Uh, my CEO, CMOO, my COO has been with me for 14 years. Job retention here, I make my employees happy by 
obviously uh, paying them well, number one, providing great benefits and a good environment to work in. But it's the family environment. It's having your employees treat this business as if it was their own yeah. is what makes this company most successful. I love that. So the family environment mixed with the co corporate structure makes for a healthy business. That's so true. Um, now, one of the things I loved learning about you is you, you lead a growing company with up to 40 employees. You're a family man with a wife of almost 20 years. You've got a four-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 16-year-old, I think, which are all different seasons of life. Um, how would you say you juggle all those things on top of you know, growing your company? What would be your advice to others that, that don't believe that they can do that? It's a, it's a very difficult task. It's a very difficult question to answer because it's a very difficult task to manage. And it's something that I still struggle with till this day. My job uh, demands a heavy duty travel schedule. I'm out of the house on an average about three months out of the year just on business. And I go as close as New York City and as far as Dubai and Hong Kong and uh, all over Europe. So make sure it's like the REM song, right? Don't be that, you know? Uh, the REM song is probably one of the most, I, I'm, you know, I listen to hip hop most of the time, but that's the one song outside of hip hop that I would always listen to. And by listening to that song, you know, especially the part where, you know, the kid comes home and you haven't seen him in a while and he says, you know what, dad, I really would like to borrow the car keys. I'm there now. My son just got his license and my, my wife hasn't slept in the last two months probably wow. since he started driving. But long story short. What song uh, is that, by the way, that you're talking about? Uh, I forget the name of the song. And I the cat the cradle and the silver spoon, that one. You know, okay. Little man, and the man on the moon, that one. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, so it's a struggle that any business owner is going to go through uh, day in and day out. And there's really no solution to it. And, this, and the solution that I've come up with is to try to be there. And now in today's age, in the world of electronics, where everybody's plugged into their phones and so on and so forth, I literally try to catch myself saying, wait a minute. Don't be on Facebook. Go talk to the little one. Go talk to the middle one. Go talk. But for the most part, what I try to do is, I hate to say treat it as a business, but from a business perspective, if you're not involved as an owner, your business is going to suffer. Well, from a family perspective, it's the same thing. So I ensure that I have set times and days that are set aside for each child to spend time on X, Y, Z, whether it be schoolwork, personal life, girlfriend, boyfriend problems, my 12-year-old drama in school and things of that nature. There's a lot that goes on in a four-year-old's life, a 12-year-old life, and a 16-year-old life. Mm -hmm. So I, I literally set a time to talk about every single issue that my child may have. And I, I'm aware of those issues. I'm aware of some little anxieties they may have. I'm aware with girl problems that my son may have. I'm aware with school issues and things of that nature. By staying aware and uh, having a good business partner or a wife in a family type of situation is a big help, obviously. Yeah. But simply staying aware of what's going on in your kid's life. And to talk to them about major topics. I've made my kids preview to everything that I do. My family is an open book. My son's been coming to my office since he was six years old. My, and I talk to them as adults. I always have from the smallest little age. I never treat, treat them like babies. You know, I never babied my kids uh, in a sense that uh, when you speak to your kids as adults from early on, they grow up with a certain mindset. You know, I always said that, uh, you know, my son, especially, he was a 10 year old going on 20. My son has been aware of my business. He's aware of what's going on in my business on a daily. Uh, he understands the value of money. He understands business structure. And lo and behold, he started his own business at the age of 14. And uh, 
He's now 16 last year. That business grossed 350,000 in sales. So, and that's a direct result of me spending time with him, showing him the ropes, so to speak. You know, uh, my 12-year-old is really artistic. So I ensure that she gets enough time and take him out to shows and Broadway and things of that nature. I, I really ensure that uh, I can spend as much time as possible with them, but not, not just by putting up a check mark saying, oh, you know, I just spent three hours with my children, but to make that time count, to make yeah. that time work towards either a particular issue that they may or may not have, uh, potential future problems, issues like drugs and things of that nature, being very open with them. And uh, really, again, allotting time, but not time just to put in a check mark, but allotting the time that's actually useful to them. Yeah. That kind of that. So the key is to be present, but to know that your time is limited. So to take advantage of every minute you have with them. I love that. Um, I got a couple more questions for you, man, and we'll wrap things no up. No, man, I really appreciate your time so far. This one's kind of random, but I like to ask people it. What's the best investment on time or money that you've spent in the last calendar year aside from family? And it could be 20 bucks on something or it could be $1,000 on something. I'm just, what do you think is the best investment you've made in the last year, business and family aside? Business and family aside? Yeah. Just a personal thing you bought, you know, a book you read, a weighted blanket, you know, something like that. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, let me think about that one for a second. Business and family aside. Um, hmm. Best investment I made business and family aside. Uh, I, was gonna, I would say a new home, but that, that's related to uh, family, more or less, right? Still a good so, uh, so that's not going to work. I'll give uh, you an example of mine. Last year, I got LASIK surgery. And... I've spent my money on, I bought a motorcycle last year too. And I love to ride, but it's not like a, a solid investment. You know what I mean? Um, but I got LASIK surgery last year and it's like, I felt so smart afterwards because I'm like, this worked and I would buy this 10 times over to not wear glasses or contacts ever again. Well, I did buy, I did buy myself a pair of readers uh, last year when I realized that my vision is going at the age of 40. <laughs> First, yeah, you, you can see them on video. You guys obviously can't see that, but that's not probably the best investment. I think the best investment I made business and uh, family aside was opening up my YouTube channel. Okay. That gave me, a, now even though it is somewhat business related and it's geared towards brand recognition for the company, but it gave me an outlet to tell things like they are, to share my experience with others. And I found that in the last year, you wouldn't believe the amount of people I have inspired to go into my business. So okay. people to, I inspired to get into watch collecting and how many lives I've touched probably over the last uh, what, year and a half now. So that would be probably the best investment I made. And at the same token, it's something that allowed me to enjoy myself while doing it. It was a hobby turned into a business tool. And uh, really with just a few hours in a week that I spent on my YouTube channel, I managed to enjoy myself and I managed to inspire people. Love it. I love that, man. That's good. Last question, man. If you could put anything on a big blank billboard on one of the busiest highways that you can think of, what would it say? What would you want people to see every single day? Dream big and take small steps to get there. That's what I would put on the big billboard. Love it. And uh, since I was a kid, I've always had a big dream. Since I came here, I've always had a big dream. And that big dream has now become a reality. The biggest issue I see today 
especially when you get into the realm of motivational posters and art and statements and things of that nature. One of my uh, favorite meme accounts, Tank Sinatra, just put up a hilarious video of two guys going back and forth and coming up with uh, motivational speeches, motivational tags and pictures and so on. And they went through every single one you see online today. And at the end of the day, Tank said, guys, you're unemployed. Like, you know, <laughs> you can talk a big game, you can dream big, but you got to take small steps to get there. Uh, as the first question I ask people that say they want to make a lot of money, and the first question I asked my son, he said, what do you need to do to uh, save a million dollars? What's the first step? You know, most people kind of get taken back. They think about it, they try to come up with a fancy answer, but it's really not a fancy answer at all. To put a million dollars in your bank, you got to start with one dollar. Yeah. And that's the... That's sort of the theme that I've always taken in life. You know, you dream big, you plan ahead, and you take small steps to get there because things don't happen overnight. You got to work hard for it, and that requires a lot of small steps and smaller steps and bigger steps and projects and tasks and a lot of yeah. sleepless nights. So that would be my billboard. Thank you, Roman. I love that. Dream big and take small steps to get there. Man, before we wrap up, how can the audience find you? What's your Instagram? What's your YouTube channel? It's my name. It's Roman Shard, and both for Instagram and YouTube. Awesome, man. And the YouTube channel is really fun to watch. Um, so for the audience, check that out. If you've never been a part of uh, jewelry sales or traveling the world, you'll get a little bit of both in that. Um, Roman, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for all your advice around business and leadership. And uh, I appreciate you, dude. For the audience, thank you for joining this episode of the Business and Leadership Podcast. We will see you soon and God bless. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. See you, brother. All right, bye.